Right now, behind closed doors, 13 members of the United States Senate are negotiating a deal to overhaul our health care system without so much as a public hearing. Secrecy is wrong, especially when the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office estimates that 23 million Americans and more than 28,000 North Dakotans would lose health coverage under the proposal that the House of Representatives passed. On today's episode of The Hot Dish, we'll be talking about how the Republican health care proposal would impact North Dakota and about actions the administration has already taken that are threatening higher premiums from families across our country. Today, joining me is Dr. Mary Wakefield, who is uh, not only a great friend, but a North Dakota native. Until recently, Dr. Wakefield served as Deputy Secretary of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Um, thanks so much for joining me, Mary. You are just, uh, you're the pride of North Dakota. We just so appreciate um, everything that you have done for the state, your public service, but um, mainly we appreciate you because you have a really big brain and, and you're a great thinker. And so uh, I wanted to just explore with you as somebody who kind of came out of what clearly was some challenges for the um, Affordable Care Act, now transitioning, how you see this transition and what you think is good about um, the Republican proposal and what you think will have a very negative effect on the quality of health care um, throughout our country. And so I want to thank you for being the great expert that you are. Um, first, let's talk about um, what Medicaid expansion has meant, not only to the rest of the country, but North Dakota. Um, uh, have you had a chance to take a look at at this new bill that would not only change Medicaid expansion, Mary, but would also dramatically affect Medicaid as we know it by providing for a per cap or, you know, block granting the dollars back to the states? Well, right. And, and let me say, first of all, thanks so much, Senator Heitkamp, Heidi, for having me on, on today. And also, thank you so much for your interest in ensuring that uh, North Dakotans have access to affordable and quality health care. That's always been a big priority for you. Uh, and uh, I, I appreciate it as a North Dakotan, and I also appreciate it as a nurse, that you pay a lot of attention uh, to ways that we can all work together to improve uh, access to affordable health care. You mentioned Medicaid programs specifically, and the uh, and there are major provisions in the uh, bill that was passed by the House of Representatives. Some of these provisions, I understand, are also uh, being deliberated right now uh, in the Senate by that small group of individuals that you mentioned earlier. The Medicaid program itself, as you and, and people who are listening know, is a, it's a bedrock program. Medicare and Medicaid are two long-standing programs that have ensured access to health care and so access to health for millions of Americans and scores of thousands of uh, North Dakotans in particular. They're bedrock programs that the public uh, highly supports historically, and they have a major impact on whether or not people have access to health uh, care services. So what's in the proposal so far? Well, the bill that was passed by the House of Representatives 
uh, makes a couple of very radical uh, changes. It makes a number of changes, but a couple of very radical changes. One, as you know, North Dakota is one of the states that expanded Medicaid. That was great uh, from my perspective as a North Dakotan and my perspective as a nurse, uh, that the state pushed forward and took advantage of the opportunity to expand Medicaid so that more North Dakotans could get access to health insurance and then get access to health care. But that Medicaid expansion that was allowed by the Affordable Care Act and um, uh, that states could participate in, North Dakota selected to do that, uh, that expansion is cut. The House bill does not protect uh, Medicaid expansion. It effectively ends Medicaid expansion. It slashes federal funding, uh, and um, because of the steps that um, are, because of the provisions in the bill, it's expected that about 14 million people will lose their Medicaid coverage. And so you think about a state like North Dakota, okay, what can North Dakota do? If um, Medicaid expansion uh, is slashed through the bill, uh, uh, I mean, the option is for North Dakota to continue to provide those health care services by covering the costs of that program. But this is a state that has had some budget problems and some budget shortfalls. So to shift the cost, over to the state of North Dakota uh, to uh, allow the continuation of those new services for, that are being made available through that expansion is, is a really tough pill to swallow for the state. Uh, the state could choose to drop the expansion, uh, uh, cut Medicaid eligibility, uh, and um, uh, even if in their heart they would want to, to retain it, it the, fi- the cost of it is so significant, and it's the cost that's being borne by the, the largely by the federal government right now. So, so that's one p- real problem. Can, Mary, can, are, can mm-hmm, I sure. can, can I just add something to this because I think a lot right. of people are under the the impression that um, this doesn't affect me, and oh, by the way, these are people who should just get a job and then they'll get health insurance. Um, I've seen numbers as high as 93% of every person on Medicaid expansion in North Dakota is already working. They're working in jobs that don't provide health insurance or they're not working enough hours to get a job that provides health insurance. And when people say, how will this affect me, rather than just those 28,000 people who have accessed Medicaid expansion, the, the other answer is a lot of the folks who are on Medicaid expansion are now on a like a managed care. So if they have a chronic disease like, like diabetes, they're seeing the doctor more regularly. It's avoiding uh, uh, visits to the hospital, admissions to the hospital. They're living healthier lives as a result of access to health care. But um, if you take that away, it will drive up health care costs. And if you take that away and they're forced to then move to the individual exchanges with chronic conditions, it will drive up premium costs on the individual exchanges. And so, you know, when people say, well, this doesn't really affect me because I'm not a Medicaid recipient, you know, the answer is, number one, you probably have someone in your family who is, um, but... but um, equally important is you you also will see costs of health care go up because we will not have people in managed care uh, conditions or we'll have people accessing the individual marketplace with higher risk factors driving up premium costs on the on the exchange. Well, that's right, and 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 it's such a good point. The, for the folks who lose Medicaid coverage because of the rolling back of Medicaid expansion, uh, that that those people who have jobs, low-paying jobs, uh, in some cases, or jobs without health insurance coverage as a benefit. 
uh, those individuals that are lower income, folks with lower incomes, their only alternative might also be to, uh, depending on their income, may also be to go bare, to go without insurance coverage at all. And historically, in rural areas, we've had a higher rate of people who are depending on and using um, Medicaid program in order to get health care uh, services. That's uh, rural versus urban areas tend to have a higher um, proportion of people who rely on Medicaid. They've got jobs, they're uh, low-paying jobs, and they don't have health insurance coverage to your uh, as a benefit to your point. You also mentioned the, um, the, the bill's impact on the Medicaid program itself. So if you set aside the Medicaid expansion that the Affordable Care Act uh, made uh, possible for states that chose to pursue it, the bill also also makes very significant changes in that bedrock program, Medicaid. And in that case, it, the, the, the challenge there is that the plans, uh, the, the uh, House Re- uh, Republicans' plan puts a cap on the amount of annual, annual rather, federal funding uh, that can go to states to support uh, access to health insurance coverage through the traditional Medicaid program. So in other words, the bill does not protect. It, in fact, allows a reduction in health insurance benefits for people who have traditionally benefited from Medicaid. Those are seniors, their children, their North Dakota families, their individuals with disabilities. And, and so, so it, the cuts jeopardize the health of people who have been able to get uh, insurance coverage through Medicaid expansion. It also jeopardizes many people uh, because of the caps that would be placed on what the federal government will pay. Uh, it jeopardizes access to health care insurance for people who have been on Medicaid. Yeah, I just want to make a couple points about, you know, just kind of common sense points when people say, well, what is the effect of this? If you take a look at the um, Medicaid expansion, which a provider network in North Dakota, whether it's hospitals or doctors, will tell you is absolutely critical to maintaining their bottom line. Um, it's over $200 million a year. If that, if, that if, if we get rid of Medicaid expansion, it doesn't mean that those costs go away because that there will still need to be health care, and it probably will be more expensive, and it will basically um, uh, move our, especially our rural hospitals, in the direction of bankruptcy. And and um, if they can't, it, no one can keep their door open if you're running in the red year after year. I think the other thing is when people say, well, this, this whole idea of the shift of Medicaid from the states back to the, or from the federal government back to the states, you know, the projections are as high as $830 billion over 10 years of cost shifting. Um, I don't think any of us really should, should be under any illusion at all that states will be able to save $830 billion. Um, uh, and so either one of two things, either the state taxpayers will incur those costs directly or, in fact, um, uh, we will see those being uncompensated costs. Now, I also want to make the point that when you look at Medicaid expansion and, and how critically important it is to maintaining good health in our communities, and, and it's an experiment that has um, been really well-received among all the provider groups. is probably the most popular piece of the Affordable Care Act, and it's not something that we should easily unwind. When we look at Medicaid itself, so many of the recipients that are so concerned right now are moms of disabled kids who just 
need a little bit of help so that they can keep their ki- their their child at home, and that's not going to be available to them. And so um, we're going to fight um, with everything that we have to maintain the Medicaid program. I think another big question that I get, Mary, that you can help clear up is how will, in fact, um, this uh, ref- uh, you know this repeal effort that pass the House, how will it affect pre-existing conditions? We have, um, you know, potentially 300,000 North Dakotans that have what we would call pre-existing conditions. I would be one of them as a breast cancer survivor. Um, would, would I have the guarantee that I have today that the insurance uh, market would have to take me um, it, with a pre-existing condition if the Republican plan passes? So so today you have that guarantee. You cannot be excluded because of a pre-existing condition from health insurance. That protection that is embedded in the Affordable Care Act right now goes away. So so that protection is not maintained and and Heidi as you know and your listeners know too Everybody probably knows someone with asthma, diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, cancer, uh, and, and so lots of people have have and suffer from pre-existing conditions. Lots of people in North Dakota with various health care problems, as a matter of fact, in rural parts of the country, we see a much higher uh, prevalence of chronic health care problems even than in urban areas. So you can see this potential for disproportionate impact. Well, the bill would allow insurance companies to charge more for people who have health care problems, those pre-existing conditions. Yeah, and that's right when the, you know, the very people who want to stay healthy as possible and, and effectively manage their health conditions, all of a sudden allowing insurers to charge those people with health problems uh, more or significantly more, that's a big step backwards. And, and so um, uh, that too frequently can put health care out of reach I would say just when people need it the most. There's uh, not one of us who knows when we may develop a serious illness. It could be a month from now or a year from now. So that protection, that consumer protection is important for all of us, and it is substantially weakened. Um, Bottom line, North Dakotans with preexisting conditions that would be trying to get health insurance coverage uh, could be charged unaffordable prices for that coverage. So, so it's a, it is a, a clear problem, uh, and that was a practice that was used by insurance companies prior to many insurance companies prior to uh, the Affordable Care Act. When we, when we look at the exchanges today, and this is going to maybe switch gears a little bit, one of the concerns that I have is that very many of our young families, Mary, on, on the exterior, who, who don't get their insurance um, from the workplace, but get their insurance on the exchanges, that the products uh, on the exchange, uh, including in North Dakota, seem to be, you know, very high deductibles, very high premiums, and that the exchange, the individual marketplace, isn't really working for um, uh, young, healthier families. And and I think that's a concern that we need to address um, as we're looking at repairing the Affordable Care Act, as we look at uh, making this, this work better. And there's been a number of really interesting interesting ideas, uh, one of which was Lindsey Graham's, incidentally, where he said, let's take people with chronic, you know, four or more chronic uh, conditions. If you're, if you're a patient with four or more chronic conditions, the, the health statistics will tell us that 40% of all health care costs in the United States are the result of patients, the 14% of patients who have four or more chronic conditions. We know that people on the exchanges 
who who have chronic conditions um, don't always get the managed care that they need to because the insurance industry will tell us that the average time in a in a uh, premium product on the exchange is nine months, and that's just not enough time to go into the kinds of um, uh, long term investments in in healthcare and wellness that will lead to a reduction of costs. And so one of the ideas is you take people with chronic condition and you you drop them out and you put them in some kind of managed care and not the high risk pools that we're talking about in the um, Republican rewrite, but something like that where where we would help subsidize and that would lower the cost for uh, on the risk pool, uh, the individual insurance market for people who are younger and healthier. I mean, when you were with the administration, did you guys talk about any innovative ideas that that you could deploy that would actually reduce costs um, for young, healthy families so that they didn't incur all the risk of the insurance pool? Yeah, such a great point, because this is, um, uh, from my perspective, what we all should be thinking about is how we can improve on the uh, the um, provisions and the programs that we have right now and basically do no harm. Make sure that we're not uh, decreasing people's access to health insurance coverage or decreasing quality of health care, uh, decreasing affordability. So anything that we're looking at should uh, strive to improve affordability, access, and quality. That's me at a minimum litmus test. With regard to strategies to help bend the cost curve, because you're right, we need to continue uh, together uh, to work to find ways to help to drive healthcare costs down and to make it more affordable. One of the parts of the Affordable Care Act um, that was stood up was the Center on Innovation, and it exists inside CMS, but the, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The resources flow, though, out to uh, healthcare systems across the country to test and model new strategies for improving the care uh, that people receive uh, who have chronic conditions in particular. So we have not begun, I think, to really look at uh, effective ways to deliver health care so that working in partnership with families, young families and elderly, you know, elderly too, all, you know, the entire age spectrum, uh, to look for those new ways of working with people using technology, uh, really engaging people in, in person-centered and family-centered care uh, that, that is not as fragmented as we all grew up with, uh, that is more comprehensive, and that meets the needs that patients identify for themselves. There are models that have been studied and that have been found to be effective, and so we've got we've got some good investments already in the country that have been driven out of the private sector and also, as I mentioned, out of the public sector uh, that are showing improved uh, patient outcomes and also decreasing health care costs. We've had some good success stories, and we absolutely need more of those. I'm delighted to hear that you're thinking in that direction because you were right earlier. We don't have a perfect uh, – the Affordable Care Act was not a perfect bill. This is really about looking for opportunities to improve and build on uh, the achievements that we've had. And one of the areas to do that, I think, is exactly in the area you're focused on, improving the quality of health care that people receive while driving down health care costs, making it more affordable. Right. I, I, I mean, I just think that there are so many innovative ideas that we could be talking about if we just check the politics at the door Quit talking about, you know, kind of who's going to win the political argument and start talking about what we need to do to provide um, 
health insurance and quality health care for the people of this country and the people of our states. And we know that one of the biggest challenges is actually providing that health care in rural America. Um, Mary used to be the head of the uh, rural health at the University of North Dakota, um, PhD nurse who um, knows well, um, not only from the public policy side, but from the hands-on, what it takes to deliver quality health care um, in rural communities. Mary, you are you are just a uh, uh, you, you you are really one of my favorite North Dakotans because you're not only smart but you're compassionate and you're willing to listen to any side of the argument and come up with solutions. and And so I I think anytime you want my job, Mary, just let me know. You can come back to Washington. No, 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 thank you. I want you to continue to work as hard as I know you are. Um, you're still young, so you just keep you know pumping away those those hours. Only in Washington, only in Washington D.C., Mary, would somebody over sixty be considered still young? You are, you are, and there's a lot, and you've got well, thank goodness a lot of a lot of energy still to, uh, to bring to the table. So I'm de- I'm delighted to have the chance to talk with you about it, and and I do I did just want to add that, that your comment earlier about rural hospitals and the and the adverse impact impact on them. They, as as people know, they have traditionally operated, our North Dakota hospitals have traditionally operated on pretty thin financial margins. What's been great in states that have expanded Medicaid is that they have seen a significant drop in the number of people coming through the door who are not able or who don't have health insurance uh, coverage and who are unable to pay for the care they receive. So, And that makes all the difference. That keeps those doors open and those, those hospitals open for those hospitals uh, that are seeing, that everybody in a community and, is using that allows and it, them to hire and it more prevents and, it honestly it prevents that hospital from shifting that cost to other people to other people and, and to other in, in the insurance market yes. or otherwise and and so um you know we hear numbers as high as it used to be 20% uncompensated care down to like 2 or 3 now you know, you can't beat that. And so no, you can't. that's money in their pocket that they didn't have before and, and that they're able to use to drive to develop new programs, potentially to pay salaries for people from the community who work in those facilities. The economic health of hospitals was has been really, really uh, uh, challenged. Uh, and this is now providing an infusion when people who come through their doors of hospitals and doctor's offices are able to pay for that care with, an, with the insurance that they have, whether that's Medicaid expansion or marketplace coverage. And I think another point, not that that the point of of this whole thing is employment, but the, the health industry in North Dakota is a major employer. And so cutting these benefits and cutting health care reimbursements um, from the federal government will have a dramatic effect on, on employment. One of the urban hospitals, when we said, what happens if Medicaid expansion goes away, he said, we'd have to lay off two, 200 people in my, in my hospital. Uh, you know, number one, what does that do to quality of care? And number two, that's 200, you know, hardworking North Dakotans who are doing a job that needs to be done, which is taking care of the health care of people. And so um, we're, that, yes. we're, we're that on it, Mary. Impact, yeah, that adverse impact you were just talking about, it affects North Dakota families. It affects North Dakota health care, North Dakota's health care providers, both of them. And it's the reason why you see major organizations like the nursing organizations, uh, the medical associations, family physicians organizations, American Cancer Society, AARP, all coming out expressing 
serious concerns about these provisions, especially uh, the impact on the Medicaid program, but not just that. So these are healthcare providers who have not had an opportunity to testify. They're uh, uh, consumer groups that have not had an opportunity to participate in hearings because none were held, uh, who have, have expressed every other way they can very strong reservations and concerns about the impact that this has on the health right. of uh, individuals and families. And so I'm so pleased that you're paying attention to it. Uh, Heidi, thanks so much for doing that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to say that it is absolutely the single biggest issue behind um, what's happening right now in farm country and the drought that we need to pay attention to, not only for the health care of our citizens, but the economic health of our state. Thanks, Mary. You bet. My pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll see you back in Grand Forks. Sabrina Corlett is a professor at Georgetown University and an expert on health insurance markets, which is an incredibly complicated area. Um, I am so grateful that she's here to explain to our listeners on how um, the the uncertainty that's being created right now in the marketplace, how we could actually uh, attack that uncertainty, and why it is that it seems like the administration isn't implementing the Affordable Care Act to avoid the uncertainty. And that certainly is going to have a dramatic effect on uh, health insurance premiums, not only in uh, the country, but really across North Dakota. So, Professor Carlett, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, it's a, a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, over the last several months, there's been a lot of news about uh, insurance companies pulling out of uh, uh, state uh, insurance markets and basically saying we can't afford it. That has led to a lot of claims that um, the the health the private health insurance market is exploding and that um, uh, it, it's proof positive that um, none of this system actually works. Um, can you tell me where this uncertainty is coming from and really explain how it is that we've gotten from A to B and why, why this is happening right now? Yeah, well, the, one analogy that might help is um, it, it's the kind of thing where if you have a house with a leaky roof, um, the solution is to patch the roof, not to burn the house down. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing um, on the part of this uh, new administration and, and many in Congress is is sort of, well, we've got a leaky roof, so we've got to just tear the house down or, or burn it down. Um, and um, so, so essentially, I think nobody would say that the marketplaces under the Affordable Care Act were working perfectly. They were working actually pretty well in North Dakota. They have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of places, um, insurance companies were losing money. Um, uh, some, some insurers were saying, you know, this, this is a difficult market for us, and some were actually leaving. Um, but there's a lot of evidence that going into 2017, just this year, the markets were starting to stabilize and correct themselves. Insurers were starting to learn more about the people that were coming in and how to care for them. And, um, and so Wall Street analysts, um, folks that were looking at the financials as well as the enrollment picture were saying, okay, it's not, we're not there 100%. This is still a new market, but it's starting to stabilize. Mm-hmm. Well, then we get statements from um, the congressional leadership and others about the Affordable Care Act repeal, um, threats from the Trump administration to cut off um, these critical subsidies to uh, lower-income enrollees that, that really help keep the markets afloat. 
And also, um, while it is unpopular, um, the the individual mandate um, is a critical piece to getting healthy people enrolled and into the market. And the risk that that might go away or not be enforced is keeping a lot of insurers from participating. And, and, and it might be enforced at the same time that there remains the mandate for pre-existing conditions. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, right, the insurance companies kind of made a bargain with the government. We'll take people with pre-existing conditions and cover them, but in exchange, we're going to have an individual mandate so healthy people come in, and then we'll have these subsidies. Mm-hmm. Well, if you threaten to take away the subsidies and the individual mandate, well, no. <laughs> Why would an insurance company say, like, that's a good bargain for me? Well, it's interesting because we've had a number of insurance companies um, that have basically said that this uncertainty is exactly why they're pulling out and and the unwillingness of the administration to honor the the um, uh, subsidies and, and pay the subsidies is exactly why they have problems in the marketplace. And so it's not like, like we're inventing this. Um, a, a lot of people are looking at the individual marketplace saying, look, um, we, we have challenges. And one of those challenges is that, um, you know, you take all comers, which means, and then you've rated it one to three, which mm-hmm. means that um, uh, older, sicker folks um, uh, get a pretty good deal, but younger, healthier people uh, remain really challenged um, mm-hmm. in terms of, and we can't ignore that. That's a piece that I think if there was one thing that I would tell you does not work well, doesn't work well for young, healthy families mm-hmm. um, because they end up with an unaffordable product with really high deductibles. And that that is um, kind of unfair that they're bearing more of the cost of, of um, what's happened. And so we, we look at this whole area and say, look, the last thing that we need to do is destabilize the individual marketplace while we're trying to fix it. And the cost-sharing uh, subsidies um, uh, are a critical part of this. And we've seen, uh, including in North Dakota, insurance companies actually suing uh, the federal yes. government. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what these cost-sharing subsidies are and how, how that subsidization actually helps the marketplace work better. Yeah, absolutely. So there's actually two kinds of subsidies that are um, involved here. One is the premium subsidy that for for folks um, who are low and moderate income helps lower their premium or limits the amount they have to pay in premium. The second, which is a really critical subsidy, is this cost-sharing subsidy. And as you just mentioned, in a lot of these plans, the deductibles and the cost-sharing can be really high. But if you qualify based on your income, these cost-sharing subsidies will lower those deductibles for you. Um, and the problem with the Trump administration threatening to cut those off is that um, the way these subsidies work is that if a, if a consumer comes in and buys one of these low cost-sharing plans, the insurance company has to provide it under the law. Mm-hmm. And then the government steps in and says, we'll pay you, we'll compensate you for that. But if the insurance companies have to do this and then they turn around and they're right. not going to get compensated, they could lose millions and millions of dollars. And they have. And they are really worried about being on the hook for this. Um, and it's a promise that the government made that is now being threatened to to um, be rescinded. So it's a problem. Yeah, I, I think that, that we've been waiting to see the outcome of the litigation, um, which is uh, House v. Price. Um, it, it changed its name now with the new uh, head of um, HHS. Um, but but I think that uh, that that's the pressure point that the administration is putting on the individual marketplaces. And it's really cynical because it's like, why would you threaten what we currently have 
um, at the same time that you are, in fact, replacing it, if that's if that's your goal. And and the concern that I have is don't monkey, don't 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 threaten people's lives and livelihoods and their access to health insurance so that you can prove a point that mm-hmm. that may not be um, uh, consistent with with uh, y- your kind of narrative over here. Make sure that this works what it, how it needs to work for 18 because you haven't gotten a product or you haven't gotten a health insurance reform slash repeal passed yet. Don't don't disrupt this. And I've heard from many, many insurance companies who have come darkened my door saying, what do you want us to do? We we feel a, an obligation to carry coverage. We want to do this, but we cannot, given our fiduciary responsibility to, you know, to um, – our shareholders, we can't take this level of risk without knowing. And that's basically what it comes down to. Yeah, no, and I'm really glad you you brought this issue back to the the people who are enrolled in these plans and depend on them for access to care and services and, and financial protection. Um, and so here we are where this issue has become this political football or a bargaining chip and the the people caught in the middle are 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 folks who depend on this coverage. It's just it's um, I've just never never seen anything like it. What do you think is going to happen with the litigation? Do you think that the the administration is going to be compelled to to um, uh, pay these uh, these subsidies? Well, one important thing about the litigation, of, as you may know, is the administration has asked for a delay until yeah. August twenty first. Um, for that. But the problem with that is that the insurance companies have to lock right. in their premiums by August sixteenth. So if they don't know before then what the outcome is, um, that's a big problem. And in most insurers will tell you it's about a 19, 20% premium increase that they will have to put in place if they don't get those subsidies. Uh, I, th- I, think, I think you need to repeat that because, I, I, you know, I think people will see this and say, oh, this is all a result of Obamacare. But at the end of the day, there was a mechanism in there to try and make these products more affordable but it's not working because it's not being uh, implemented the way it was intended. That's right. That's right. The th- just the threat that these might be taken away is making insurance companies increase their premiums. Or pulling out. Or pull out. Um, and, and no insurance company wants to increase premiums so high because they know that the more they increase premiums, the more healthy people drop out of the pool. And they want to keep those healthy people enrolled. Yeah. No, you know, what's interesting is is that when you look at the, the proposed replacement plan um, in the House of Representatives, <laughs> you know, so their solution to eliminating the individual mandate is that they are going to charge you more if you come back into the private insurance market. So I think it was like a 30%, um, you know, penalty. So you would get your premium cost plus 30%. And I, and I kind of uh, smiled because I said, so if you're healthy... And you don't need insurance. Um, why would you go back in if you're going to be penalized? But if you're sick and you need insurance, of course, you know that thirty percent will be, you know that that's just um, you know the cost of getting health insurance when you desperately need it. And and I think no one thought this is a disincentive for healthy people to come back into the exchanges. You know, if they've if they've had a lapse of more than sixty days, and and those are the people you want back in the exchanges, the people who will help carry some of the risk of the older, sicker people. Um, in your expertise, when you look at this, obviously a big component of 
of the whole um, health care bill, um, the Affordable Care Act, has been Medicaid expansion to take Mm -hmm. people with maybe more chronic diseases, put them in more managed care, um, take them off the risk pool so the individual marketplace would work better. If, in fact, we eliminate let's say, um, Medicaid expansion, moving literally millions of people into the individual marketplace. What do you think will be the net effect for healthy younger people if that happens? Well, we know that in states that did implement the Medicaid expansion, the overall um, marketplace, the, the the folks that are in the private coverage, that that mean it has generally meant that that pool is healthier than in states that did not expand Medicaid. So, um, if you um, end up with a lot of people off the Medicaid rolls, that will just mean a sicker risk pool in the private in private coverage and higher prices, right. ultimately. And and so people who don't have health health insurance, except for the individual marketplace, will end up bearing the cost of of older, sicker people who would otherwise receive Medicaid mm-hmm. um, coming back into the into the um, individual marketplace. It's it's uh, you know you got to think about um, all of this. I think from the standpoint of a balloon, if you push on one area, it's going to pop up someplace else. And and I think our overall goal should be to reduce healthcare costs writ large. But in order to do that, we we know that the innovations that that, um, many insurance companies and many providers are driving is this idea of getting people into managed care. The insurance industry has told me that the average time on an individual individual product on the marketplace is about nine months, which really limits the ability to do that cost reduction. And so if we can stabilize that individual marketplace so that people who go on the, the marketplace or go in the individual exchanges actually reduce costs, there should be a huge benefit for everyone in reducing health care costs because all of our premiums will come down whether you're employer-sponsored or whether you're, you're buying that insurance mm-hmm. for yourself. I, you know, that, that's yeah, just that's the reality. Yeah, that's absolutely right. But I will tell you, there is nothing, in certainly in the House past um, repeal bill, that would uh, address what I think, what I totally agree with you, is a fundamental challenge for why healthcare is so expensive in this country. Um, and in fact, would probably make it worse because if you're uninsured, you're not getting any care, let alone managed care. Right. It, we were talking earlier with Mary Waitfield that the, the new study that came out that said 40% of all health care costs goes to deliver health care to 14% of the population. What is unique about that 14% of the population is they usually percent with four more chronic diseases. And we haven't even gotten into what behavior and mental health will mean. And, um, you know, I I was talking to one of my providers in, I say mine, one of North Dakota's great healthcare providers in Dickinson, who told me that in his hospital, um, uh, he sees about a 15 to 17 percent Medicaid um, uh, population. And so about 15 to 17% of his patients are Medicaid eligible. But when he looks at uh, um, behavior and mental health, it's about 70%. And so if we take away healthcare coverage to the 70% by eliminating Medicaid expansion or monkeying around with traditional Medicaid, and, and we say, okay, you're no longer going to get healthcare, they're going to fall into the private insurance market driving up costs even more. 
Well, not only that, and I'm really glad you mentioned the mental health issues, but also substance use disorders. Um, one of the things the Affordable Care Act did, of course, was that mental health parity uh, mm-hmm. requirement that said insurance companies have to cover mental health and substance use treatment at parity with medical. Um, well, that's now at risk, right? Because if you roll back the benefit standards, which the House bill um, has that option for states, um, you could have a lot of people who just can't get mental health coverage at any price. And that's just I think it's interesting that when people people say, well, none of this will affect essential health benefits because, you know, we didn't repeal that. But what they did is basically say the states can. And until you ask your state, are you going to maintain those benefits and put it in state law? Um, you you have to you have to be honest and say that benefits at risk whether it is pre-existing conditions whether it is um, parity for behavior mental health whether it is not charging women more on uh, for insurance than men of, of the same age and and so it's it's um, it, you know it's a complicated business there's no doubt about it but um, it is. It, it is not something that should be changed in the dark of night. It's something that we should have opportunities. And what's been frustrating for me, honestly, is I get calls saying, how will this affect me? And I go, I don't know because no one's told me what it is. If, if I could see it, I could tell you, but I can't tell you what it is. And I think the American public is not being well served by not having a, a discussion of this out in the open. I'm sure, you know, that's my editorial comment for the day, Sabrina. <laughs> I, I would love to see yeah. the bill, too. I, I certainly hope there's enough time for public viewing of it and hearings and markups and a chance for, for people to really understand what's in it before you have to vote on it. Yeah, I you know, I, 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 I just think this isn't the way to run the railroad. But, you know, I'm new here and... <laughs> And I come with a kind of common sense North Dakota approach, and it just seems to me that if you are dealing with one of the most critical um, uh, parts of someone's life, which is their health care and their health insurance, um, there ought to be the opportunity for examination. And um, the promise, I just kind of tell people, if you take $800 plus billion out of health care, out of Medicaid, and say there won't be any effect as a result of that, you cannot honestly believe people will believe that, right? Right, right. I, you and know, and cutting the, the marketplace subsidies in half, practically in half. Like, right. And that's not, less money for people to afford coverage with. Right. And, and I, like I said, there's things that I would love to fix, which is, you know, I think younger, healthier um, folks uh, can't find affordable products in this country. We need to fix that. I think that the cliff events that happen with subsidization are not good, where somebody says, well, if I work that extra hour or two hours, that means I lose my subsidy and therefore I can't afford that. We need to figure that out, how we don't disincentive work. I, I get it. I get all the concerns and I get the, you know, we don't like the mandates. We, we just need to understand we're in this together and there's going to be a way for us to um, work this out if we would just check our ideology and our politics at the door, put on our thinking caps, and really be honest about what the problems are and what they aren't. And Medicaid expansion is not a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I think once you dig past the the rhetoric and, like you said, the ideology, there's actually a lot of common ground um, that could be reached. So in many ways, um, that's sort of the tragedy of this process that we're going through now. <laughs> it is. Anyway, thank you so much. Oh, uh, it was fun. Dr. Thank you Collette. for having me. I, I, uh, I think um, 
we need just need more people who are thinking about this, more people who are talking about it. And this is a great opportunity for people to understand kind of where where I am right now because this is this is pretty important. But um, uh, but also um, what the thinking is on what we can do and what we can't do. And to me, um, the rubber meets the road on Medicaid and Medicaid expansion. Absolutely. And any rollback of those programs for me are really non-starters. Yeah, well, I look at a state like North Dakota, and you guys don't get enough attention because you expanded Medicaid and you had both. That was bipartisan mm-hmm. in the state. You've had three strong carriers in your market that are sticking with it. And your rate increases were incredibly low. So somehow, like, I don't know whether it's North Dakotan common sense or what, but you somehow you've made it work. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I think we're, we're going to see some higher rate increases right now because of this uncertainty. Sure. And want to make sure that, that my insurance providers don't get hit with a lot of criticism because they need, folks need to understand what they're up against. But, but at, the, at the end of the day, when I ask my health care providers, how can we do this smarter, better, and, and provide quality care, they are always stepping up. We're looking at um, regulations that don't make a lot of sense, that don't add patient value. We're looking at the different ways of delivering rural health care, whether it's telemedicine, but also looking mm-hmm. at not doing bricks and mortar, but actually almost that doctor, you know, house call kind of model that, that um, uh, will provide ongoing care. How do you pay for it? I, my... I, I will tell you, my guys are so innovative. I'm so proud of the healthcare delivery that we have in North Dakota. Um, as a as a breast cancer survivor, people would say to me when I was diagnosed, "Aren't you going, you know, to Mayo Clinic, or aren't you going to, you know, Dana Farber, or, you know, uh, MD Anderson?" And I go, "Why?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, because people in North Dakota frequently don't understand how truly blessed they are with not only the access that they have to care um, and the easy access they have to care, but the quality of the care in our state. And we don't, we want to maintain that. We want to make sure that people have access to it, but we want it to be affordable for all of our families. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for joining me for the hot dish and make sure to subscribe to the hot dish on iTunes. So you don't miss an episode.